band, please? We've got an exciting day planned in our worshiping of a great and living God. I want to welcome you to Highland. I want to read a scripture from Psalm 89 to get us kicked off this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. I will sing of your steadfast love, O Lord, forever. With my mouth, I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations. I declare that your steadfast love is established forever. Your faithfulness is as firm as the heavens. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all that is in it. You founded them. You have a mighty arm, strong as your hand, high your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed be the Lord forevermore. The word of the Lord. Let's worship.
be welcome in this place. Welcome in this place. We welcome you. Articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry. Then from north to south and east to west, we hear Christ be magnified. Where the whole earth echoes. Turn 
offered through your son and the guidance we receive from your Holy Spirit. We pray for your restoration for and through those who call Highland home. Please be with Jace, the grandson of Jim and Susan Clark, as he remains at Cook Children's Medical Center, and with Ruth Jackson as she is in hospice care at her home. Bring your certain peace and presence to the Floyd Meredith family as they grieve the passing of Kay this week. We pray to the God, we pray for your restoration in our Abilene community. We know from ancient scripture that you are a God who is a father to the fatherless, sets the lonely in families, and is a fortress during the darkest times. We pray for you to continue these mercies for all of us. But today we ask specifically for the many youth in our city who are housing and food insecure. We ask that you provide safe homes, healthy food, and caring mentors for teenagers in need. We love your work and praise you that your spirit moves to fill young people with the courage to hope in you and in your loving provision in spite of their very challenging circumstances. Please be with Karen Azell, Ben Seibert, and their team as they invite these teens into the Youth Voice Drop-In Center and meet their needs. We pray to the Lord. We pray finally for your churches that are meeting around the globe today to honor you as sovereign God and creator. Thank you for inviting us into the process of restoring your created world to its intended purpose, to give all glory and praise to you. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Now please join me in praying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father,
Morning. This is a great day. We're glad to be here. And I hope you feel greeted and welcomed this morning. And I wish you could feel welcomed and greeted like I was when I walked in here when Lauren Cunningham came and gave me the biggest hug and blessing. So I hope you can experience that as well and that you all feel that welcome here today. Welcome to the table. And in just a few moments, the communion trays will be passed. There'll be two cups stacked together. One holds the bread and the other the juice. Hold them until all have been served and then we'll take our communion together. This semester, the university students have been discussing and learning about the beauty of being God's beloved children. One of the encouragements to the students is to spend time each day practicing to see themselves as God's chosen. Sometimes the pacing of our days drives that to be more of a challenge, but when we encourage one another to slow down and live into experiencing the messages of his divine love, those moments can remind us of how blessed we are. There's not a better time during the week than right now. Right now is the time for us where we can share communion and it gives us a chance to look around at God's beloved children that are here together this morning and to bask in that unfailing love. So to the university students that have been learning together about God's amazing love and to all of Highland, to each and every one of you, our encouragement to you this morning is something that we want you to know and it's something that is hopefully a big blessing to each and every one of us. But each person here, you are God's beloved. Church, you are good at table. We come to this place and there's beautiful tables. There's coffee, there's lunch, there's Lauren. There's even Dr. Pepper and Diet Dr. Pepper, if you know where to find it. All of that and the welcoming faces that are everywhere you look are a crescendo to this moment, right? Drawing us to this divine table, this feast. So the gospel writer of Mark opens his narrative with the urgency that Jesus portrays through his entire ministry life. Right after noting John the Baptist's important role in pointing all of the attention to Jesus, we hear a voice as heaven rips open and says to the newly baptized Jesus, you are my son, the beloved. It is in you I am well pleased, while Jesus is still wet behind the ears, right? He was entering a new space in his life, a new rhythm of drawing strength and pouring it out. Maybe are too. Whatever space we find ourselves in today, a new space, a familiar space, or one that feels maybe more mundane than we wish it, wish it did. We join one another around a table that exists because of the passion of our Lord Christ, Jesus' own love, 
that we feel it, that we receive it, that we share it. Knowing that we belong in these seats that have been planned for us before, long before our imaginations can even grasp. And this table represents the unity of family among our differences, right? That are very real and only surpassed by the truth of our seats and the unity that Christ brings in ways that only God can. So there's a place continually prepared for us around this divine table that we'll now enjoy. Servers, please come forward at this time. Please pray with me. Jesus, thank you for giving your body so that we can be a body, your beloved body. Thank you for taking the cup placed before you so that we can drink deeply of your presence and that of one another and look forward to knowing you more and more fully. Amen. body of Christ, 
and the blood of Christ. The Lord be with you. of grace is Jesus my redeemer there is no more for heaven now to give he is my joy my righteousness and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless peace to this I hold
to follow Jesus For he has said that he will bring me home And day by day Church. My name is Reed Hillen, and I am one of the ministers here. I work with our uh, students, sixth grade through twelfth grade, and I am thankful to stand before you today to do some announcements. Everybody's favorite time in the service here. Woo! Announcement time. Yeah. Uh, my first announcement is the best one I could ever make. If you are ages three through kindergarten, his kids is in the south lobby this way, and Miss Ashley and her team are ready for you. And I'm going to do a plug. Uh, if you've never served in his kids, if you've never gone and seen the story told into the wonder and mystery of God the way they do it in his kids, I can't recommend it strongly enough to go and see the way our, our, our young folks hear God's story and as, as, as an invitation into their life. And uh, so, yeah, so his kids is in the south lobby. If you are looking to connect... If you're looking to find a way to find your way uh, here at Highland and uh, you see somebody with a badge, you can ask them, hey, where's this Bible class? Hey, what are you doing in your ministry? Hey, what's going on? Or if you're like me and you're somebody that would never walk up to somebody with a badge on and say, hey, where should I go? There is an online connect card that you can fill out. That's another easy way to do it. Or you can fill out, the, if you're a paper person, there's a paper card. You can use an old stylus, <laughs> scribble it in there, and we'll, we'll reach out to you. We'll give you a call. All right. Um, or today, perfect day for connection, there is a connections lunch following this service. So in the atrium, you saw the beautiful table set up, and I'm sure Jeff had a strong hand in that happening. It looks fantastic. If you're looking and wondering, how do I get plugged in here? How do I get connected? You can come and hear all about what God is up to as we try to restore Highland, restore Abilene, and restore the world. When you give, you give to that mission. 
the mission of restoration of all things that Jesus put into place a long time ago. There are three ways to give. You can give online, you can give by text, or you can give in the boxes in the back with cash or check. May God be with us today. Participate in a survey, and there's a QR code on the screen now. This is a survey with some questions and comments about our blended service that we have in the summer and, and around holiday time. And for those of you who have attended the blended service in the past, we would just like to get some feedback from what your thoughts are. So scan that QR code from right where you're sitting, or if you prefer a paper copy, the Welcome Center right out in the atrium to your right, there's a stack of paper copies there. We would love to have your feedback and we'll share information with you as you turn them in. If you would please stand now and we'll have just a short bumper before we have the reading of God's word. Welcome to Highland. Please stand for the reading of the word. This morning I'll be reading from Galatians 5, 16 through 25. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, Highland. Man, if you weren't here last week, you missed the worst beginning of a sermon I have ever experienced. Uh, what happened was um, so a after first service, I have this habit of, uh, you know, I kind of niche the corner of my notes and I put them back in order and I set them on the producer's table. But when I came back, uh, for second service, my notes, by the time I realized it were gone and, uh, I was in full panic mode. And, uh, if you don't know what happened, Gail Donaghy brought over her, her notes for me, uh, via Natalie. And I looked at them and they, it wasn't my outline. It was her commentary on my outline, which was no help at all. <laughs> there was lots of kind things that she said about how she loves Calvin and how great he is, but no use. 
Jeff, on the other hand, bolts straight back to the office to grab my laptop. Michael goes up to the crow's nest to get a copy of the sermon that was there. I had three copies of the sermon before, I mean, what felt to me like 10 minutes actually on the tape is about 90 seconds. But I got to tell you, I'm never doing that again. I have come today prepared. If you, I need a backup sermon, it's right here. Uh, I've got a second backup sermon back here. And just like one in the holster down here, uh, there it is. Man, four sermons right within 10 feet of me. That's all I need. I'm going to be good today. Um, I'm never doing that again. Um, if, you're, if you're here for the first time, my name is Shane Hughes. I am one of the ministers here, and it's good to have you with us. We are so glad you're here. Uh, we're going to go through this series that we're calling Deliver Us, and we're, we're focusing on, on, on the flesh, our disordered passions, and what that means for our lives, and how the spiritual disciplines, today we're going to look at fasting and confession, and how those just, uh, spiritual disciplines help us correctly order our desires. And at the end of last week, I gave you a challenge. What I wanted you to try to do was fast. Fast for one meal and see what happens, Right? Not for the sake of earning points for God or somehow like earning stars in your crown, but notice your body when you fast. And we ended last week with a prayer of confession, and that's where I want us to start this week. We're going to dig a little bit deeper this week into those two ideas. Will you join me in prayer? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And Father, in this moment, in this place, as we are gathered as one body, we turn our hearts and our minds to your word, and I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I might speak your truth and love to these, your people. And it's together that the church says, amen. amen. So this series is called Delivered Us, and we're talking about the enemies of the soul, right? It's the devil, the flesh, and the world. And we've been hearing on staff a lot of positive feedback on this series, which is good. I like to hear. We like this sermon series. I like it too. And, but, and I think there's a few good reasons why. One is that the text of the Bible is useful, faithful, and practical. The Bible makes sense. And so it's real easy for us to relate to concepts like temptation and lies, deceit, that are designed to draw us away from God. Second, this series is based on the book called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer, and it's a great book. It's easy to understand, and it's a great read. You can check it out. And, and the third is that because this isn't something where we commonly don't talk about. We don't often talk about sin and evil or the spiritual side of our lives. That's usually not a conversation you may have in the course of your week. And so we're bringing focus on the things that are typically unseen or just unnoticed, things in our lives that cause us to stumble or struggle in following Jesus. And bringing these things to light in our own lives is freeing. And so I've heard from others, folks of you, like your children, on days where you're tired or maybe you're just doing something important on your phone, they will come over and whisper in your ear, you're using your phone because you're afraid to die. 
And I got to tell you, like, four-year-olds have told their parents that. They are in this room, and they are listening. And they are being shaped by what happens in this place. That is a testament of the Spirit of God. There's also been some weird stuff that have happened, like these notes disappearing last week. Personal health issues that have been arising around. There's, there's strange things that are also happening. We're doing some good soul work that's practical, and it's helping us in our walk with Christ. And so I want us to look at Galatians chapter 5 today. If you have your Bible or your phone, open that up. And what we're doing is we're looking at how Paul advises us regarding how to manage the Spirit of God. Now, that now everyone who is in Christ and the desires of the flesh that we all have to wrestle with. As we said last week, as we looked at Romans chapter 8, the way to live by the Spirit and not to be controlled by the desires of the flesh is to feed the Spirit and starve the flesh. It's kind of like feed a cold, starve a fever. And by starve the flesh, what we mean is discipline. You discipline the flesh, you tame it, and you put these God-given, functional, helpful desires in their proper place so they don't take over your life. It kind of reminds me of times where I've tried to plant a garden or flower beds, or my family has tried to do this. And if you know anything about West Texas soil, you know that the weeds have adapted to dry climate over centuries of time. And so the weeds have deep, deep roots. And quite frankly, they're hardier and stronger than your carrots or your tomatoes or daffodils. And so if you want a good garden or you want a good flower bed, the first thing that you have to do is lay out some weed paper everywhere except for those little holes where you want your plants to pop up. And this keeps the weeds from getting sunlight and, it and so they don't choke out your, your plants or your veggies. And then on top of that weed paper, you have to put mulch or rocks or whatever um, to further stunt the growth of the weeds. And then if you're serious about this, you set up drink spr uh, drip sprinklers right next to where your plants are so the plants are the only thing getting water but not the weeds. And then if you're anything like me, you leave the whole thing alone for two months and it all just fades away, right? You got to keep track of it. You got to keep on it. You got to keep paying attention, keeping your focus where it belongs. We heard Paul in Romans 8 advise Christians who are called to live by the Spirit to subdue the flesh and nurture the Spirit. But he talks about this in other letters in the New Testament as well. In Galatians chapter 5, he's going to speak about as bluntly as he possibly does in the rest of the New Testament. He says you must crucify the passions of the flesh. And by this, he doesn't just mean murder the passions. He just doesn't mean destroy them or, or mute them. He needs you to publicly kill them. Remember, and when we're talking about the flesh this way, Paul is condemning the disordered desires, but not necessarily desire itself. There's, there's a difference between the natural instincts of our bodies and disordered desires. And you can see this, what Paul is saying in Galatians blah, chapter 5, that the things mentioned in the acts of the flesh are misuses of good and healthy things like food and sex or control. For instance, sexual immorality, impurity, and orgies. I bet you didn't hear, think you were going to hear that word this morning. Orgies are, are sex out of its proper place. Debauchery, drunkenness is food and pleasure out of its proper places. Idolatry, witchcraft is desire for control out of its proper place. 
Those are all good things, but when they get out of order, it gets wrong. And the spiritual term we use when someone's life has been elevated to the highest level of importance is idolatry. It's when you've made control or sex or pleasure an idol out of your life. And so Scripture says we need to put weed paper over the disordered desires that we don't want to grow or they'll overtake our lives. Instead, we need to cultivate and water the fruit of the Spirit. And so the two disciplines that help us do this are fasting and confession. And we're going to talk about what it means to do these things in just a moment. But before I want to talk about what it does mean, I want us to think about what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that the body is bad and the spirit's good. Right? That's the most simplest reduction that you can take out of what Paul is saying in Galatians. And if that's your stance, I don't think it's very biblical. It's easy to jump to that conclusion that this is what Paul means, but that's actually a secular view, not a biblical view. Popular wisdom of the first century of the ancient world said that the material realm is bad and evil and the spiritual realm is good. You see this in the Greek philosopher Plato. You see this in the Gnostic philosophy, and that's in Jesus' Paul time and even four or five centuries afterward, and the Manichaeism in the third century and beyond. All that held that life, the goal of life was to escape the body and unite with God and God's spirit. So if that's the goal of life, if you think about it, if that was your worldview, how would you feel about the gospel's claim that the one true God became flesh and dwelt among us? That would be scandalous. The birth of Jesus? No. The crucifixion of Jesus? Not really. The physical resurrection of the body of Jesus? Absolutely not. The Gnostics would have thought that surely God would not demean himself so by taking our filthy, shameful form... In fact, they would believe that Jesus only appeared to have a body. If you looked really closely, his feet weren't quite touching the ground. And he only appeared to have been crucified and physically resurrected. That's the only way they could make it work. So what Paul is referring to, um, this is part of what Paul is referring to in 1 Corinthians when he says that the gospel is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. And the result of this kind of dualistic, body bad, spirit good worldview, it's a low view of the body, which means that you can abuse and mistreat the body in all sorts of ways or just use the body up for whatever enjoyment you want to have, like sexual immorality or abuse, infanticide, hedonism, the list just goes on and on. This is not a biblical view. Scripture tells us that God created the world and pronounced it good. God made matter, and God said matter was good. And then he created men and women's bodies. By his own hands he shaped us, and then he declared them to be very good. There is this unbreakable connection between the body and the spirit. And we believe in a physical resurrection like Jesus' body was physically resurrected. Another way to think about this is that heaven is not a hologram. Heaven is going to be much more tactile than we think it is. And so the enemies of the soul, the devil, the flesh, the world, attacks us on a spiritual level, but it most certainly impacts our bodies as well as our daily lives. As we said earlier in the city, it is fascinating that you can use your mind to rewire your brain But the same dysfunction in your brain can also affect your mind. 
And I think many people today, even Christians, have this inherited this dualistic worldview, saying the only thing that matters is what you think or the, the deep down in your soul belief of the person you have. Your body and your biology is merely incidental. A former agnostic, Dr. Nancy Percy, she says that this low view of the body at the foundation of social or, or the foundation of social issues and practices like three-day weekend benders or euthanasia or sex trafficking or hookup culture. The list just goes on and on and on because at the root of that belief is that the body doesn't matter. But trying to separate the body from the soul or the spirit or the person is problematic in culture and it's problematic in our faith. Paul, who we've been listening to in Galatians, the same guy who said crucify the desires of the flesh and walk in the um, in step with the Spirit, also said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and he's quoting someone else here, all things are permitted for me. He's challenging a, a philosopher of the day, but not all things are beneficial. All things are permitted for me, but I won't be dominated by anything. That's his response. And then the third quote, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for the food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us in his power. Therefore, shun sexual immorality, every sin that a person commits outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against the body itself. Or do you not know that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. And I realize this is kind of a, a long rabbit trail for us to take, but it's important for us to understand how important in the Christian worldview is believes that the body and the spirit are intertwined. While so much of secular philosophy depends on the belief that the body and the spirit are completely separated. So we're not saying disregard the desires of the body. We're saying put them in their proper place. When, the dis when they become disordered desires, when we are controlled by the flesh, then that's when we need to act. So there's two embodied practices that help us live in accordance with God's spirit and not the flesh. And they are fasting and confession. Now, we talked a little bit about fasting last week. Fasting is, the, is, is, an, is an intentional act to reduce or eliminate your food intake for a specific time and a specific purpose. And, and what you are going to experience, and what I hope you experience this week when you skipped a meal, is that it's not just your mind and your thoughts that are involved in your spirituality. It's your body. And it gives us a concrete experience that makes you aware of how much your desires control us. It's only about three, after, three hours after I skip lunch that I notice my blood sugar is beginning to drop. I notice there are changes that are happening. My stomach begins to grumble. This week, when I was fasting, I, I ate um, snacks that were in my office, stashed in a drawer, without even realizing I was eating them. I made no conscious decision to do it. I just reached in the drawer and started eating because I was hungry. My body had that much control over the decisions that I was making. I didn't even consciously think about it. But what we do when we fast is we practice taming your appetite. It'll give you experience in telling your body, no, you don't get what you want, I get to decide. 
I mean, Jesus fasted, and his disciples fasted, and the early church fasted, especially when they were making big decisions uh, in a season called prayer and fasting. And Christians throughout Christian history have fasted. In fact, Christians not fasting is actually a relatively recent shift. Throughout Christian history, most Christians fasted twice a week, every Wednesday and Friday, and many Christians in the Orthodox tradition still do. Um, and I didn't know this this week until this week, but I found this out. That in, in uh, the early, early Christianity, the daylight hours during the month of the 40 days of Lent, or the season of 40 days of Lent, Christians fasted. Now, you might say to yourself, well, no, we don't do that. That's, that's what Muslims do during Ramadan. Well, Islam adapted the practice from early Christians. But we don't really do that anymore. Even though Jesus fasted in the early church fasted, Jesus gives instructions of when you fast, not if you fast. It's become a, dis a discipline that many Christians have ruled out. And I wonder if that has something to do with modern believers inadvertently adopting some sort of platonic or Gnostic philosophy that the body's bad and the spirit's good and that faith exists mainly in the immaterial world and the body's not that important. Maybe we're more Gnostic than we think we are. Richard Foster, who wrote Celebration of Discipline, we talked about that last week, says that besides being an intentional move we make to be more connected to God, fasting reveals the things that control us. For example, if you get irritable or angry while fasting, you might think it's because you're hangry. Write that joke. It might be because your blood sugar's low. That's possible. But fasting is not creating your anger Fasting is exposing it. It reminds us that we're sustained by God and not by food. And people often misread the beginning of Matthew incorrectly uh, when Jesus is being tested in the wilderness. People often think the devil is tempting Jesus 40 days after 40 days of fasting meant that Jesus is at his weakest. But other scholars rightly point out that fasting helps us submit our disordered desires of the flesh and will to God. So that actually, when the devil meets Jesus, this is Jesus at his strongest. And the way that we know this is true is because at the end of that narrative, Matthew says the devil went away until a, a more opportune time. A time when Jesus was less focused on his mission. When Jesus was not so centered on the will of God. Of course, we know that didn't happen. Fasting helps us keep a balance in life and helps put things in their proper place. So last week I offered, I suggested you give fasting a try. And if you notice, it takes some getting used to. And I think it's a good habit for us to do. It's a good practice. Uh, fasting from food is especially helpful, but you can take intentional fasting from anything identified as ruling or driving power in your life. If it's, if it's shopping or if it's drinking or if it's social media, if it's screen time, uh, if it contributes to controlling your urges, um, rather be than being controlling you, I said that backwards, if it all contributes to being more in control of your urges than having them control you, then it's a good, it's a good use of time. The second skill that Christians have in ordering, correctly ordering our desires is confession. 
And this isn't the confession that we see in baptism. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's, it's the confession that says, I'm not perfect. Confessing our sins not only to God, but to one another is, is commended in Scripture, even commanded. And in John's version, it's this idea of the flesh-spirit dichotomy is, is light and darkness language. And he says that Jesus is the light of the world, and in him there is no darkness at all. And we are to walk in the light as he is in the light. In 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, uh, John says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But if we claim to have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. I think one of the greatest examples that Jonathan Stormont brought to Highland was him being clear and upfront about confessing his own racism. In fact, if you go to his Twitter account, you'll see pinned in his profile, the little bio beneath his name, is he confesses, you know, recovering racist. And I, and I loved that because he was so, he was upfront about it and he was very vulnerable about that. It cleared the air and it admitted that in his life there was work to do. It was this act of radical confession. Confession is letting the capital T truth come to the surface, exposing any hidden sins and darkness in our souls. And if you grew up in the Church of Christ like I did, then you know that confession only happened at one moment. It was, it was at the invitation song. And in most churches of Christ, maybe two or three people a year, most of them children, came down during that song of offering to, to be baptized, because that was their request. If anybody else came down, it was because they were to confess some sort of sin, and the, the minister would sit next to them, or an elder would sit next to them and talk to them for a minute. And everybody in the church kind of kept singing with one eye on their hymn book and the other eye on this person, trying to figure out what was going on. And then the, the preacher would get up at the end of that and say, well... We need to pray. And they would pray for the brother or sister who had come forward. And there was something so freeing of coming forward in front of people that loved and trusted you, and you say, I messed up. My life's a wreck. I mean, sometimes you can look at that time and say, this is completely unnecessary, but there is something so powerful about saying publicly, I'm a sinner. Take, for instance, and I'm not going to name any names, the person who stole my notes last Sunday. I think I know what happened. It's clear. I, every week, put my notes over there, and somebody else put their notes on top of mine and then just scooped them up and took them with them. I know exactly what happened. And there's only like four people it can possibly be, um, and they're either elders or ministers. And so I know who you are, but I guarantee you, to your last breath, you are going to carry with you to your deathbed the fact that you stole my notes. <laughs> and I want you to know I forgive you. Um, but if you were able to say, I did it, I'm the one. I messed up. It would make you feel better. <laughs> it would. Not just saying. And the reason I'm saying that is because I know it's true. Because it's happened to me. I've lived in that life where, where I've needed to tell the truth. And, 
And it's interesting because, you know, 1 Corinthians and, 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 and Galatians chapter 6 can make us miss the, it's, it feels like there's this overemphasis on sex, right? Uh, Tim Keller, a preacher who lived in New York for most of his life and worked at Redeemer, he, he had this interesting observation. He said of hundreds of people, perhaps even thousands of people, came into his office to confess for sins and seek help and get some counsel. He said not one of them ever confessed greed. And at first you kind of wonder why. But then you realize that Tim Keller's church was in, located in lower Manhattan, in the, in the center of the financial district, of the financial center of, of, of perhaps even the world. Of course no one confessed greed there, because greed was like a, a sign that you were successful. It said in the culture that you're winning. So nobody would confess that. And so maybe there's an overemphasis on sex and confession. And I say that only to say this. It frees your soul to tell somebody, I'm a broken person. It sets you free to say, I am struggling right now. This idea that you only come to the front when you're really in trouble or if you don't confess what you've done before you die, you go to hell. Or that's, that's bad theology. That's toxic church stuff. And so we were talking in our, our staff this week about what's this look like. Like, how do you start confession? And somebody in our church told me about their, she had a friend that lived here that lived, had a ranch out, outside of town. And, and she had the wailing wall. And I said, tell me more about that. And she said it was like this, this cinder block wall just out on the ranch. It was kind of in the middle of nowhere. And next to that wall, she'd put a five-gallon bucket full of, like, Goodwill china, right? Like plates and bowls and cups and dishes, all of it uh, breakable. And, and you could go out to the wailing wall and just take dishes and throw it at the wall. And there was something that she said about that physical act of breaking dishes against the wall that she was able to say to God words that she had never spoken before. And after she was able to tell God, she was able to tell someone else. You think that confession is scary because it feels like God may abandon you. Or it feels like if I tell this person, they're going to know everything I've done. And they're not going to like me anymore. They're not going to like the person that they see. But let me tell you that the voice of Scripture and this church is clear. God will never walk away from you. And this church won't either. There's this paradox in confession because your fear is that it's going to alienate you because they're going to finally find out who you were. But in the power of grace of God, it actually it creates, reconnects intimacy. You come into a closer place with God because there's not this wall of lies between you and God. It unwinds the sin. But, I mean, because we live in hope of resurrection, you may have to walk through the valley of death. I mean, you, you may have to deal with the consequences of your choices. But what you're going to find on the other side of confession is intimacy. And so this week, this is where I want to challenge you to start. Um, it may be too much for you to confess sin to another human being. I understand that. It may be too much to say I'm not perfect, although 
Every time I've uttered those words, no one has ever been shocked when I say them. Um, but So maybe confess the thing that's one circle out or two circles out from where you're at. Like, maybe you tend to make bad choices really late at night. Um, you eat things that you don't have any business eating, or you get online and you say things that you don't have any business saying, or you look at things you don't have any business looking at. Um, so maybe take a step back from that, because the, the problem happens late at night, so what I need to do is just go to bed earlier. And so maybe the confession is, I just, I need to go to bed earlier this week, because nothing good for me happens after 1130. I mean, it's true even the next day. I don't get good sleep. I am not a kind person in the morning. And other people have to bear with that. So maybe that's just where you start, is to find, maybe it's something you can do in your small group or with a trusted person or with a friend that knows you. It, it may be your spouse, it may be not. But start with that outer ring of, of where in your life are the, the margins, and you know you just need to go to bed a little bit earlier. You know you need to stay off of that part of social media. You know you need to stay away from that part of town. And ask the questions about how are you doing relationally and physically and mentally and spiritually. I wonder if you could do that as a small group. Um, because the hardest aspect of these sins is when the outward sign of the sin looks like success in our culture. When greed looks like winning in lower Manhattan, it's kind of an easy sin to overlook. But it's just as destructive. It's just as destructive in your life. Will you please stand for a benediction? So take the challenge this week. Find someone to connect to. Find someone that, uh, that you can live with. Find someone that you trust enough to tell the truth. And experience the intimacy that comes from that. Experience the intimacy of God. That we have a song. Why don't you guys come up for the song? Um, experience that intimacy with God as we, uh, as we sing together.
experience the freeing love of Jesus Christ. May that freeing love set you free from anger, from shame, from guilt. May it reorder your passions in line to the power of what God desires in your world. May you be filled with God's presence. May you go in peace.